Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Ross. And I'm Craig. It's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Right, in the news today, we have um, another solar breakthrough. I'm a bit excited about this one. It's not UK news, sadly, but it is significant enough, I thought, for mention. So um, scientists at the University of Michigan have earlier this week um, announced their fully transparent solar cell has just managed to achieve 8% efficiency. To put that into context, that's still half of what a normal solar panel can do, but the transparency element is a game changer, I think. So as it means like buildings like skyscrapers could utilize the full vertical height of the building to collect solar through the windows. And if the technology keeps improving, we could see it on conservatories, Bellex windows, greenhouses, and cars with glass roofs. So I think that's a bit exciting. I'd that's like very that. exciting. Uh, so when you say they've increased the efficiency, do you know from what? I think it's like six or something. It, it's not, you know, not much, but it's, it's getting the chipping chipping closer to yeah yeah that's the cool. key there it's moving forward um did you know hottest temperature ever question mark um death valley hits 54.4 degrees celsius yeah i did i did know that but you know it's not it's not uk news so i i didn't i didn't list no, it i know but it's <laughs> It affects us all, man. So um, it, yeah, it's um, not. It's it's the highest temperature that's reliably recorded. Um, it's still awaiting a validation, but if it if it is, um, then it's slightly higher than the current uh, reliable record, which is in 2013 or fifty four degrees. So burned. So yeah, bad news for the planet. Bad news for the planet. Yeah. Um, in other news, uh, vegans are causing trouble again. That's mm. on there, really. Um, so the Sustainable Food Trust says that vegans are harming the planet by drinking soy milk. Oh, the bastards! Mm. And that they would do better—that they would do better to drink cow's milk. I—I've read something similar, actually. But I'll get more detail next time. But apparently, soy uh, takes up a lot of land to grow, more, right. yeah. more than other things like cows. Right. So, well, their argument is that um, an awful lot of deforestation happens in order to make soy. Um, mm. But they've pinned it mostly on the vegans, as opposed to the fact that most of the soy is used as a supplement instead of grass to feed the cows that's providing the milk that they're suggesting that they should drink. Yeah. It's just stupid. <laughs> First of all, you don't need to cut down a rainforest to grow soy. You could just, just grow somewhere else. Uh, and I think we do. I think we grow it in France. Um, also... Vertical uh, farms. What's that? Vertical farms. Well, all, all that, yeah, you could do that. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's uh, more, more used as a as a as a cow feed than than it is possibly for, for vegans is, is a is a key point. Um, instead of instead of feeding it grass, so they're also saying that you know farmers should feed the cows grass. Great, but it's just the fact that they missed out that link between the cow, which is feeding the soy. And the vegans now suggesting they drink the milk of the cow, which you're feeding. It's just is stupid. Yeah, but um, you know, cows are vegans, so and kind of all in the same world. Yeah, and perhaps better still is that they went right. Okay, you can't you can't drink soya milk. That's bad. So you should drink cow's milk. Mm. They, they, well, they missed out all the other alternatives like oat milk and almond milk and cashew milk, and they, they didn't suggest that vegans went to those, which are also vegan options. They suggested that they went back to drinking cow. I thought it was brilliant, so I thought I'd mention it, because they're dumb. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a real, like a meat industry thing. Because I think what a lot of previously read was, in terms of land usage and deforestation, is cows first, 
then yeah. soy, then palm oil. So palm oil, soy, typically get associated with stuff because they're always in things. Like palm oil is used in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Like chocolate. But if the soy is so, all feeding the cows, yeah, then they're one and two. Apparently, um, excess uh, consumption of soy also increases estrogen in males. Oh, so you should also watch that stuff. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yes, I will do. Will do. Um, right, so that that's the um, the main news I have. But I did want to go back to um, we talked about it in a previous episode where I posed the question as I often do, and I didn't answer it. So I thought I would answer one of those questions. So the question I posed myself was which draws more carbon dioxide old forests or new forests yes remember we talked about that yeah so i didn't read it and this was the answer um unfortunately the science is a little still confusing it's not a clear cut answer basically um so firstly it seems that a tree does in fact continue to increase its growth the older the tree gets i think i suggested that that was possibly not the case and that an older tree because it's already grown would absorb less co2 than a new one that was growing was, was that was the point i made i think you were on the not sure sure about so you were right on that one um uh, so yeah the order the tree gets it, it still continues to increase its um absorption of co2 um which would suggest on its own that older forests are better however there's one extra caveat um because the trees are larger they're also further apart so um, a new forest, you can put all the trees very close together. Um, so technically speaking, uh, until they reach that point where they start competing with each other, per square meter, a younger forest can achieve a high level of CO2 absorption than, a, than an older one. So I think in mm. the case of very specific farming, you can achieve better if you're using, you know, if you're you're planting it and then I don't know what the, the time frame is. I think it's like twenty years or something. But then you then cut it down and then you and then you and you sort of start again. If you're doing that, then that could be more effective. But generally speaking, you're right. Leaving a forest on its own is definitely the better thing to do. Um, I mean, that that's what it's evolved to do. So I assume we just just leave it the bloody hell alone. Yeah. Uh, do <laughs> yeah, leave nature to itself. It does a better job than we do. Weird, isn't it? Um, the other main issue is the logging part, which is still pretty bad. So we, we use up a lot of CO2 in getting the logs out. So uh, mm. that would go against the new forest again. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the carbon that we, when we chop down trees, we leave a lot of it on the floor. And then it obviously uh, rots quicker than it would do if it was alive and in the ground so uh in a nutshell you win cool uh, i didn't know it's competition but uh well, i thought i'd make it one because i like to lose um so your reward is that you can continue with the news oh is that all your news oh cool okay. it. um other stuff. it's all boring so i didn't tell you <laughs> uh yes uh it's good actually that we got quite a little bit of Bit itch news this time, and something new which is happening is a games publisher of PlayStation 4 games um, entitled Goose Games uh, ditched the whole plastic box of PS4 games in an eco-friendly drive to start producing cardboard boxes. Good point. I've got I've got a ton. There's a we've got loads of them lying around here. That's good point. I mean they. They're, they're horrendously plastic. So yeah. um, so these are the first time this has happened. Um, apparently, this actual box, which is um, recycled cardboard, took over a year to create, mainly because they wanted to get to the point where a cardboard case of a game felt premium. Because I suppose we've all got that problem. Um, you know, cardboard boxes, they're very flimsy, a bit poor. Unless you caught them, with some sort of plastic um, residue. Yes. So they try to avoid all of that by being as recycled and eco-friendly as possible. So it took them a year to develop this. And uh, they are the first 
And yeah, hopefully this now starts a domino effect and other games publishers do the same. And maybe even Sony, Microsoft, you know, the heads of these consoles can start recommending them because otherwise uh, this is a, yeah, a great piece of news. Yeah. Uh, Untitled to Goose Games. Good job. Um, other piece of news was a bit local to me as well, uh, is the Cardiff and Bridgend Heat Network Project. Um, the idea of this is it's been given a 16 million quid boost um, and we're taking heat from Cardiff industry and pumping it into Bridgend um, recreational um, and leisure facilities and new homes. There's a new building estate in Brackler. Uh, which will have this underground piped heat to start heating houses. So, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I've not heard, I mean, this, well, I think we talked about it, but are they doing that anywhere else or, or, or is Cardiff the first? Uh, Cardiff to Bajend is the first, and uh, it's the first phase um, of the UK-wide heat networks investment project. So this project has 320 million from the UK government. Uh, this is going to happen in Wales and England, Scotland and Northern Ireland have their own things. And this is a big part of UK's um, plan to decarbonise by 2050. So yeah, 320 million in the pot and the idea is to take heat from places which have a lot of it and just pipe it underground to places that don't. Uh, in the Bridgens case, the first phase of the heat coming from Cardiff will end up going to the Bowles Hall. Keep the, keep the people who play bowls nice and warm. Uh, the civic centre offices. Right, as in as in bowls? Yeah, as in bowls. As in the elderly people, mostly. Mostly, but we you know we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't think it. Um, really, yeah, so, my, my entire family plays it, so I know that most people there are old, and I, I think that that's accepted. But, okay, yes. Cool. So they're going to keep keep them warm with industry piped heat from Cardiff which is awesome, considering Bridget and Cardiff is about 25 miles. So that's going to be pumped entirely in the, in the ground, somehow. Don't know how that works. Um, so it's going to go to the Bowls Club, the Civic Centre, which is basically the council offices, and the Bridget Life Centre, otherwise known as the Recreational Centre, where the gym, swim pools, library, etc. is. And they're getting the first dibs because they're going to get a combined heat and power boiler installed by the council. And I'll be operational by 2022. So very quick, very cool. Uh, that's a nice project to see on my doorstep. That's yep. actually doing something, which is really nice. Um, other than that, back to the UK as wide. Uh, it seems the 18th, so yesterday, the UK took its first steps towards regulating uh, autonomous vehicles. And I think we've talked about this a lot and We've talked about how, especially now with Brexit, we're leaving European Union, we can create new regulations, new laws. We're in a perfect place to do this type of stuff. And I'm sure we've always kind of said, yeah, please, Musk, Tesla, come to the UK, come and, uh, come and do this stuff first, because it's not, it's in tests in the US, I believe, in places like California. Yeah. But again, it's not, not regulated in any way yet to actually be sold into new cars yes and um uh elon's always said that the the whilst the technology he thinks is going to be ready by the end of the year um the next hurdle is uh regulation and he has sort of like basically said like i, I know i've no idea how long that will take the best i can hope for is that i can put together the data of what we found out so far because we have you know over a million miles worth of driving or is it a billion no. I can't remember. um and then use that as evidence. And the Department for Transport are asking for evidence, aren't they? Uh, exactly, yeah. That's, that's what the UK government has specifically asked for, is a call for evidence. Uh, they are effectively taking the steps forward in defining, specifying, and regulating the practicality of autonomous vehicles. And the first step uh, in the autonomous vehicles are the automated lane keeping system, so yeah. motorways. So that's the bit they're going to start with. So it's not fully autonomous. This is kind of cruise control with lane changing technology. I think, I think it's called level two. Maybe level, yeah, level two, I think. Level you, two. You've got five levels of autonomy. 
Ah, okay. So, so level two switching lens. Yes. It's, 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 uh, the, the car can essentially drive itself, but you have to be ready to take over. I can never remember what three and four are. No one seems to care. They just go straight to five where you don't have to do anything. So five, there's just no steering wheel. Pretty much, yeah. Cool. Uh, so they're doing, um, that's the first idea. They're trying to seek some evidence as in how practical this idea is. But the, I think the main thing they're trying to get from this research is, and part of regulating this, who to blame if there's an accident, the owner of the car or the car manufacturer. So an answer will come from this evidence, which is really exciting that the UK will take a stance either way. Mm. And if it becomes a car manufacturer issue, I mean, Tesla may have a million miles under his belt. How confident is it that, you know, this is foolproof? Uh, stuff like that is going to start becoming an issue and that might be the slow point. Yeah. Mm. So do they want the liability? And also we're not just talking about if it was a Tesla to Tesla crash, mm. that's one thing, but a Tesla to another autonomous provider is a whole different ball game. Never, yeah. never mind the Tesla to a publicly driven person car. But can you yeah. imagine what happens if you end up with a you know a Tesla versus a BMW or whatever, and they crash into each other? Mm. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose they're starting. Hopefully, level two is a simpler version. I mean, obviously, this stuff is incredibly complex, and I have no idea how to even start. But hopefully, level two, if we define level two regulations, stipulate that the car manufacturer is in control and they are liable should there be an accident, if it can be proven that the car was in ALSK mode, or automated uh, lane keeping system mode. Yeah. If they could prove that, and the user obviously wasn't taking control of the steering wheel, which I believe Tesla can do, they know if it's on autopilot or not. Yeah. Um, other, other car manufacturers need to do the same. Um, but yeah, this, this effectively would start brand new regulations that have never been seen before. And the UK is looking to have this in place by spring 2021, mm. next year, actually mm. under a year, like nine months, 10 months away. Very ambitious. And yeah, that sounds, for me, that's very cool. Now we're taking the lead on this. Yeah, I mean, it should, it should I think for the moment, it should probably still be the driver the individual driver responsible and then it's down to them as in, they can sue Tesla if, or whoever, if they think their car didn't behave correctly, but ultimately they're supposed to be in control of the car. So I think, I think that's probably where they end up, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah. I, it's a, it's an incredibly complex moral argument because I mean, right now if your brakes fail and you're in warranty, who's to blame car manufacturer, I would assume. So it depends on what it is that happened then. But yeah, but like stuff like the car drove into the central res central reservation. Well, ultimately you let the car do that because you could have just steered the thing if you wanted to. So I think that's yeah. generally at the moment they get away with it on that basis. And then uh, the individual driver tries to sue them. But there was one guy that like, drove into, um, I think the car mis mistook something for, for it being an open road and he just, slam straight into it but the guy was clearly not paying attention to what he was doing i think he was looking at his phone or something um mm. he could obviously steer around it but just didn't yeah didn't slow down or anything um, you know, and, and they detected in their hands on the wheel but yeah so it's, it's going to raise some very interesting so yeah very interesting to see where they which uh it is they take. but this is a question i feel that's been going around for a long time who takes responsibility I mean, it could even be the UK government on the roads, for example, if for some, some reason the sign is dirty, it's not recognized properly, and there's an accident. Is the sign to blame? Is the car to blame? Is the person oh. to blame? <sighs> complicated, oh. very complicated. You could blame the council. I'm not sure you could blame the sign. The council? Well, who doesn't look after the sign? You can't, you can't blame the sign. It's, Oi, you, stop it. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it would be the Department of Transport, wouldn't it, for the UK Gov, because they look after the motorways, not the councils, I believe. Uh, yeah, it depends on the but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so 
once regulations in place, then all the new cars who meet those regulations are going to get sent off to Euronap and Thatcham, uh, where research will begin to rank them in and rate them in terms of their ability to actually do the job. Mm-hmm. So how efficient they are at ARK. And that'd be very interesting to get those ratings out. Mm. I would definitely be feeling what car you buy next year. Is your money on Tesla to top that chart? Fred, it is, mate. Fred, it is, yeah. I mean, who else is a competitor in this world? I don't know, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's exciting. Lane keeping's been around for a while, so that one's, there is probably other people doing it, but yeah. yeah. Who cares? Who cares what they're doing? Quite clearly, they are far behind because no one else has got the data. But anyway, let's not make me sound like a test boy any more than I already do. Yeah, we'll keep the fanboy until next next spring, and then we'll uh, we'll know. Hopefully, you can unleash me then. Um, cool. Uh, my final piece of news. Oh no, one more. Okay. Oh, yep, yeah, I got one more. Right. This is my this is my link to you. So don't don't skip this one. Okay. Um, plant protein, yes. which is oh, where, where is plant protein? Just the kind of the seedlings, the the beginnings of the plant. Okay. Yeah, so this has been found uh, with research in France. It's not UK-based as well, but worth sharing. Uh, It's been found to respond to radio waves. And it responds by growing faster. So it boogies? You're saying... Mm. Okay, so this is like... So um, people have been playing music to plants for years. Is is this what you're saying? Is that that they, they like it, so they grow faster? Um, I mean, that's not, that's not exactly what the research says, but radio waves and music isn't quite the same thing, but, um, what, what are you, yeah, so this was, uh, this was done by, uh, Margaret Ahmed et al at the university of Paris. And the idea is the exposed thale cress seedlings were exposed to radio frequencies of seven megahertz, which is typically, um, amateur radio operator range. And yeah, they found that it altered the light sensor in the um, the cryptochrome. I don't know what that is. I'm not. Oh, I'm not you're, okay. you're the one doing the news, mate. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't wiki all these uh, concepts, but it simulated oh. in in a way that basically allows the seeding to grow faster. Okay, so okay. we're just we're just talking. The not- seed. We're not talking the full plant. We're just talking the seed. Will will come out of its shell um faster if you pump it with radio waves yes very early research we don't know if it'll continue throughout the seed that the plant's life you know once it's not a seed but mm-hmm. hi- hypothetically it stimulates the in- individual plant proteins that is in the seed and allows them to sprout faster and do you know what sort of how much faster did it does it say there's no numbers unfortunately oh. just generally um, faster that could be that could be 0.1 it could be 10 percent, but there's no numbers very early research published last week. So in, in, in vertical farming, people will put um, their seedlings into a sort of tray, which they'll put in darkness for the first couple of days. If they're, if they're making, growing microgreens or whatever, then it might take two weeks for that to go from seedling to, to a, a small crop that you can consider to be a microgreen, which you can then sell, right? So if it speeds it up by, you know, 20% or whatever, then that 14 days might become 12 days, which would be significant. Uh, yeah, well, very significant. Yeah, considering that this radio frequency of seven megahertz is, uh, is very low, very cheap, very easy, uh, very DIY. So these yeah. are things you could play with and see and actually test yourself. No, um, anyone on that news? Screens? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> yeah. On the news, what's, what's today's subject? Well, I'm glad you uh, uh, asked. Um, today's topic is a very much a personal perspective, um, and I'm calling it plant first, as in a plant first diet. Okay, so if you'll allow me, I have some notes. Which I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna to check. So, as you know, Craig, we question everything. And as a human being, to make the biggest changes to myself, I think of myself as a system 
in that what goes in affects what comes out. Yeah? Yeah. Best not to think of that too literally if you can. But um, so as a biological system, what goes in is literally air, food and drink. So the question then is, is what I'm putting in right for me and is it sustainable as a species? A human species. Is that, is that the right course to take? So, right. So, but before it sounds like it's some sort of sermon, um, I, rather than a podcast, then I want to make clear that I am currently not a vegan or a vegan. What's a vegan? <laughs> I thought you might ask. Um, <laughs> a vegan is a, is a vegan that eats uh, honey. So I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a pescatarian. Um, I don't like the name flexitarian. And uh, I, nor am I a macrobiotic. That's, that's, like, that's like a yogurt, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's... I, I, I read it. I can't really remember all the details of it, but it's... it's we'll come on to that. Maybe that's a discussion for another macrobiotic. Look it up. It's a... It's a different type, basically. I think it's more Japanese style of eating, but moving on. Um, right, so my lifestyle is such that I eat in a group and I don't have full control over what others want to cook and what they want to eat. And therefore, I have to balance the importance of my consumption with the benefits to the group of sharing a meal. Oh, sorry. For some reason, that kind of sounds like you're in prison or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no there's a there's a extended family in the house and uh, obviously that has some financial implications of us sharing a meal and ease if we take in turns cooking i don't live in a convent or anything but it's just that there are other things to consider so i don't have full control um also i'm a bit lazy so i could not do what they do and then cook my own meals but then that, that would mean i have to cook every day so I don't. Anyway, so there's I have some I have some restrictions. Is what I'm trying to say about what I do personally. But um, if you decide next week to take advantage of the full three day a week eating out to help out thing, um, mm. the next time you go to one of those restaurants, if you check out the menu, I discovered something a long time ago which i think accurately demonstrates how the majority of us have come to our current shall we say culinary leaning okay so i'm going to read you 10 items from the menu okay beef lasagna chicken enchiladas fish and chips chicken bacon and avocado salad chicken tikka masala Pork and leek sausages with mash, salmon florentine, gammon, eggs and ham, chicken and mushroom pie, lamb hot pot. Notice the pattern there. Or meat first. Yeah, that's what I call a meat first menu. They are all familiar entries on the main section of the, or the special boards of restaurants all over the country. Um, and did you notice that even the salad mentioned the meat first it's because of the most expensive part so i try to be plant first so and it's as much as a diet as a mental exercise really <laughs> to see the plants on the plate before i see the meat and to try and make the plant element the majority of the meal so if i have a classic roast dinner uh Sure, they can be chicken on the plate, but it's not its not a chicken roast dinner to me. It's a roast dinner of potatoes, parsnips, carrots, peas, broccoli, Swede, perhaps a naughty Yorkshire, a small flood of gravy, and maybe there's some chicken on the side, but maybe it doesn't. It doesn't have to, right? Are you with me so far? Yeah. All right, cool. And also, I don't want to be, I don't want to be difficult. Like, so if, if I get offered a meal, I don't want to be the one that has dietary requirements. Um, I don't want to get invited to a barbecue and then not be able to eat anything. So if there's only meat on the menu, that's fine. I'll compensate for it later. Okay. Um, 
So like I said, it's a mental exercise uh, and then an understanding of perhaps what we're supposed to eat and what is responsible to eat. And I also consider early humans for a rough guide on what we should probably eat the most. Well, this uh, the paleo diet. Maybe, uh, I don't know that one up. But, so for example, <laughs> if I dumped you in the jungle without tools, what could you eat without first having to invent a knife and discover fire? So you could pick nuts, seeds, berries, and other fruit. You could eat flowers, bark, dig up veg with your bare hands. You could even possibly catch a fish and eat it raw. But what you can't do is walk up to the back of an all rock, prehistoric cow, um, and start chewing. That doesn't work, right? So for me, that's what I use as my baseline. I don't know what the percentages of our diet that should be that type of food, but I'd guess, I'd guess 80%, right? So, so, so far in my diet, I've not allowed for beef, chicken, lamb, pork, or any of that. And the only major source of protein is fish. Okay. But on that basis, we shouldn't eat um, dairy either. But so that so let's think about that for a second. Dairy or just milk. Human babies drink milk from their mothers, and we all know it's magical stuff that contains everything a baby needs in early growth. But um, all human babies produce an enzyme called lactase, which is what is needed to break down the mother's milk. Then, when that starts to run out, become inconvenient or just socially unacceptable, icky. Then uh, we stop doing it and we switch them over to the new mother, the cow. Um, which is just, I think it's just crazy. Like, how does that even make sense? Why would we? Mm. So, why do we still need milk? We think it's, it's calcium, right? That's why we have milk. Yeah, I mean, to add a, add a bit of context too, um, we, we've chatted out of this, but. Uh, the whole genetics of things of milk consumption is very much a northern European thing. Hmm. The rest of the world doesn't have the ability to potentially um, consume milk in the same way we do. We can drink milk directly from a cow's udder and be okay, whereas most of the world can't. So we're really weird uh, in North Europe. We seem to have developed the idea of the lactose uh, continues to break down milk for our entire lives. Yeah, that's called lactase persistence. We can do that. That's like a superpower. Yeah. Um, so we we continue to produce the enzyme lactase um, so that we can continue to break down the milk as adults. Um, but yeah, as you say, other old cultures like other parts of Africa, Asia, South America. They can't break yeah. down the milk. And so for some, it makes them feel sick, which we typically refer to as lactose intolerance. Yeah, which is the majority of the world. Yeah. Which, which is really mad when you think about it. So, but, but yeah, so most humans, if you like, normal humans who haven't developed that superpower, uh, at some point in their life, stop producing lactase and they are, we are required to be weaned onto normal food. Mm. Um, and that's not, that's just not, that's not just us. That's, that's most mammals as well. Yeah. So that's just normal, right? So, but, so yeah, so the, the reason that we think that we need milk still, uh, for children, uh, older children and even adults is that we think we need the calcium because it makes our, mm. makes our bones stronger. Um, and you know, milk's high in calcium so so we need it right so um but if you think about that for a second like so let's say there's a baby elephant and it drinks from its mother until it's two years old then the mother turns to her child and says okay you're an elephant you need to grow up to be big and strong so you before you go to sleep every night you need to go down to the field down the road find a mother buffalo steal its baby's milk i know it sounds weird but hey why do you think God gave you a meter length straw attached to your face? Now off you go, right? It doesn't make sense for an elephant 
to need another animal in order to grow up properly. So why do we? If it could, it would, bro. I mean, milk, it, milk is just pulverized calories. It's a really easy way of just getting stuff in. The reason why newborns have it, because they haven't got any teeth, and they they be able to process nutrients faster. It's only because the body runs out the ability to do that because the mother should stop producing milk herself. Yeah, obviously, 12,000 years ago, if you're breastfeeding a baby in the savannah, it's probably not going to be the healthy alternative when you're running. No, okay, sure, yeah. So, I mean, if we can do that, why is it not? It's a good thing, surely. It's a survival thing. Yeah, it's the difference between can and should. You see what I mean? As in, like, we don't think, we think, or I was brought up to think in, I don't know, maybe 1980s science that I needed to have milk. Otherwise, you know, when I fall over at football, I'd break a leg or something because my bones aren't strong enough, right? That's, that's what we were led to believe. And it's not, it doesn't make any sense. We should be our capable, more than capable of, growing our bodies correctly without needing to suck on a cow in order to achieve that. So it's, it's very ingrained though. I mean, you get like a pint of milk every day in school and stuff. It's very ingrained. I know. Like, um, <laughs> as I, I my, I, my son lives with his mum sometimes lives with me. There are some with me. I, I don't, I don't really give him milk because it doesn't make sense to me to do that. Whereas at home he has he has milk, so every, you know when he comes here he's like, you know, Daddy, I want milk before bed, and I'm like, how about some water? Which never goes down well. Anyway, um, so the question of whether dairy is supposed to be in the human diet for me, supposed to be in terms of that, what you're now called, was it the paleon, paleontology diet? Paleo, paleo diet, yeah, right, like right. the caveman diet. Right. Okay. So it, it, according to the caveman diet, no, milk should not be in there. Dairy should not be in there. Um, but in the UK, as, we, as we've discussed, um, we're highly likely to have been evolved to tolerate it. So I don't think our bodies would have done that evolution unless there was some positive reason to do so, whether it's the calcium or, or something else. Um, so great, we can still have milk in our tea um, or you can let it go off and then grate it on your chips, right? So we're, we're lucky in that, in that sense. But um, uh, but now that I know this, I've looked for alternatives to cow milk. So tonight, for example, cashew milk. That's what we're having. Cashew milk and tea. Nice and sweet. Nice and sweet, yes. <laughs> Just because I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll try different alternatives to having milk. Um, Before you go past that point, I think the reason yeah. why stuff like that's not so popular, uh, cow's milk ales, is yeah. cost and the reason i think we used it um primarily the, the poorer um person you know in the victorian times would have had milk because it's much more cheaper than other things like ale or something else at one point ale and milk was cheaper than water so that's why they consumed them more is that right they were actually cleaner cleaner than the water that i can believe okay um so obviously you know black tea is also an option don't have to have milk in your tea or you don't have to have cereal at all if you don't want to but anyway um so if you do manage to find an alternative to cow's milk then um the hopeful plus side of that is that if there's surplus milk that people don't want maybe they'll feed it to the baby cows which was was originally for in the first place because i don't think they get yeah. that <laughs> i think we have it all anyway that's a... I mean, they, they, they probably do, but I think that's yeah. The problem of actual cow's milk too is the growth hormone that's in the cow's milk, which is meant for baby cows. We're also consuming. Yes. Uh, we don't really know what that does. Uh, you know, that might be causing issues. Might not. Apparently, pasteurized milk, so green tops and red tops, are bad for you versus the blue tops because they're more full. Yes. They are they are less uh, processed, so they have less crap in them. But probably more growth hormone. So pros and cons. <clears throat> Great. So, um, right, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, that's as as a as a baseline. Um, that's where that's where I'm that's where I'm at. So that's why I'm thinking dairy doesn't make an awful lot of sense. But um, but what I haven't added yet still is I haven't added meat to my diet. So, am I saying that we shouldn't eat meat? 
So firstly, that's a hotly debated topic. And whilst I've done my research, I'm making a fixed conclusion on that is difficult. I'm prone to hate mail. So um, I'm going to start with, I don't know, but here's what I think. I think that's fair. I should get away with some stuff on that, right? So, um, so meat doesn't seem to feature much in our physiology. We don't have the natural tools to hunt. We don't have sharp teeth, sharp claws. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't even eat a blue steak uh, without a lot of effort. Um, so, but just the same as Europeans have evolved to tolerate milk, presumably for the benefit as a source of calcium, it seems reasonable to me that we may have also evolved to tolerate eating meat or, or even cooked meat for its source of calories, protein, and various vitamins. The extra calories and protein particularly are claimed to have had some significant implications to our evolution, things like bigger brains and, and stronger muscular bodies. So does that mean meat is necessary? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. Um, but I respect anyone obviously that chooses to remove meat completely from their diet for whatever reason, especially if it's to do with say sustainability. And I wouldn't discourage them from their path as I think they are more right than those that eat meat with every single meal. Uh, I think if you decided to keep one, one, one meat in your diet, I would definitely choose fish. Uh, I actually believe fish is a bit of a magical food source and that the pescatarians are on something, but um, red meats have a benefit too. Um, that's also been studied. Um, and I would suggest that you make meat more like five to 10% of your diet if it's currently higher. So area I haven't yet covered is food like bread and pasta and rice. So um, before you jump into those, though, can yeah. I respond as a meat eater? Go for it. I mean, I'm, uh, meat too. I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm not. Wait, no, as, as you're saying plant first, which you should think of the plant first. Completely agree. Um, we should think about those things more. But at the same time, um, I would I would probably never go vegetarian or vegan. I do like meat. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, I do agree that that preference is a leading cause of the carbonization of the world. And as we mentioned, cows take up a lot of space, deforestation, you know, to make room for cows, particularly beef, apparently. Beef gets the worst rap. Chicken, that's fine, because they're smaller. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, beef gets a big rap. But for me, there's nothing better than a steak. I love a steak. And there's and, some reason why your body loves a steak, right? There's got to be some... Yeah. I mean, I don't have it every, every day, but I would happily have a steak once a week. And I'd probably have chicken once a week. And then I'd probably be quite happy if that was all. Uh, one chicken breast, one steak a week, and I'll probably be quite happy. And I think the way things are going, yeah, meat will always be on the menu, but it'll become more expensive as it becomes more organic free range so for example if you just allowed cows not don't level uh, farmland and forestry just let the cows go eat the grass in between the trees yeah and let them wander you know don't worry about their milk so much you have you know you have different milk cows and when they come back all nice and fat okay now they're perfect beef cows and then you can you know do your thing but hypothetically you'll be doing less of that because it'll be more expensive I have yeah. no idea how much a cow costs right now, but right now, say a steak is a fiver. Yeah, uh, I probably would be happy to spend maybe ten pounds. Mm -hmm. Fifty might be a push for the same amount of steak if yeah. it was a once a week, and then maybe once a fortnight thing. But so I, 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 I agree, but I could never fully go. That's an interesting question. If it was, if, if the steak cost twenty quid for one steak, mm. how often would you eat it now? Is twenty quid, um, and the way I'm thinking of it is an eight-ounce steak. Yeah. So eight-ounce steak, probably about a fiver now. That becomes twenty quid, and you know I'm a family of four, so I probably want at least two, maybe three. That's now sixty quid. That's going to be, that's going to be a once a quarter treat. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, personally, I wouldn't have a steak every week. Um, uh, maybe once a month. Um, yeah. For, I mean, I would, I'd have other things like, you know, I would probably stick a squeeze of burger in there somewhere or, or a sausage or something. Um, I'm not saying I, I would eradicate completely, but a steak, I, I just generally don't have, I don't eat 
I don't spend the money even when it's only a fiver. I don't spend the money on having a full steak. Um, if it costs twenty quid for one, I might have one. Yeah, I might have one a year or something. If it was going to be like, right, it's a special day. It's my birthday. I'm having a steak. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think that, that feels like it should be more like that than, you know, having some meat with a, your weekly roast or something that we talked about, like having a little bit of chicken on the side. That's great, but it just doesn't need to be like whenever I've ever had roast in the past, it's always been like, you know, essentially a whole chicken is, is carved up and then we all have way more than we actually need. Um, and it because it's the meat and i'm a man and i need to eat the meat um when in fact uh, you could just give me a, a small portion on the side i'd be quite happy with it yeah um, i mean maybe we don't need it so much these days but i think evolutionary wise um meat played a big part in who we are today and it might well so done. We, i wasn't there i can't i can't say either way but yeah it makes sense that it does it has lots of calories it has lots of good stuff in it so I, yeah. yeah but uh, i think that's kind of probably that there's a general basis of where we are today in the world of you know, let's thank the past, thanks meat, thanks industrial revolution, but today there's no proof, and we need to maybe move forward. Cool. So, yeah, the area I was about to go into then was um, bread, pasta, and rice. That sort of carb thing. So, um, just like the science from my childhood that said I couldn't, I should drink milk so that I have strong bones. I'm wired, and I'm with you, but I'm wired to think that I need to have a large amount of bread and pasta to fill me up that does that compete with you or, or not it it does but i know the i know where that came from so i distrust it i'm not really a carby person so, so i can take a take a leave it um it typically comes from if you live in a poor area carbs were always cheap meat was expensive that's why the Yorkshire pudding was invented. The Yorkshire pudding was invented in poor Yorkshire in the sense of it was meant to be a starter filled with meat gravy to fill you up so you'd eat less meat, which was more expensive. Right. So, yeah. You've actually done the research and you know where that came from. In my case, I'm just talking about it just in that, that pre-wiring of when you were a kid. You know, mm. I'm saying you need to eat your potatoes because to fill you up. You know, that's, that's why you eat potatoes because you, you need to fill up. And that, um, yeah, so that's that's where uh, my brain sort of starts before I start asking questions. If you see what I mean? Yes. Um, so, um, like, take lunch for example. Lunch, lunch is a sandwich, and if I want to be healthy, I have a brown bread sandwich. But either way, it's a sandwich. That is that is the traditional lunch. That is what I'm supposed to have. So if it's not bread in my midday meal, there's something going wrong. Um, and it's like that sort of pre-wiring that I think needs to be sort of challenged. Um, so bread and actually just about everything else contains wheat and wheat contains gluten. And we seem to have a bit of a mixed relationship with gluten, that particular um, protein. So some of us can't process it very well and they are gluten intolerant and you'll find them in the free from aisle in Tesco's. Um, although apparently now you also find misguided weight loss people down there too, but that's a side note. Um, uh, so you used to hear that your diet should consist of 60% carbohydrates. Um, but for most people, carbs just literally translate directly to bread. So we just upgrade to a baguette and then we think we've had enough. Um, mm. but actually, fruits, vegetables and all that good stuff also contains carbs, good carbs. White bread is the sort of the bad carbs because it particularly um, unleashes like a flood of of glucose into the body, which spikes our sugar levels and then can generally play havoc with our energy levels throughout the day, amongst other things. Um, so to recap, we've got in my plant first diet, um, I've suggested a 80% gatherer style diet of um, nuts, seeds, grains, legumes, fruits, vegetables, and the 10% hunter diet of what I would predominantly put as fish, but other meats that are okay too. Um, and then the remaining 10% for the other carbohydrates such as bread, rice, and pasta. Um, you so would keep carbs, you wouldn't cut them out. 
I wouldn't cut them out. No, I don't think so. I um I haven't found a compelling enough reason to do so. Nutritionally, they're very poor. Uh, on, on, I'm, I'm coming from a different diet, the keto diet. Yes. Uh, which is zero carbs whatsoever. Primarily sh- anything with sugar-based and yeah, white bread, sugar-based, uh, simple carb. More complex carb like fruits is also banned on the keto diet. See, that doesn't make... I don't, I don't feel like that's... I un, So um, the, the belief that we need to have glucose in our diet comes from the fact that the brain uses glucose but we also now know that um is it ketos ketogens yeah um it can also work perfectly fine on that so it's basically the the brain's just gone right well i'll use whatever fuels available um i can either use this or i can use this it doesn't really matter which one um yeah but it so but it's the, the glucose has got other negative effects i don't i can't um, i can't see what i can't see a world where removing fruits is a good idea i feel like that should be the case so i wouldn't go with a non-carb diet entirely i think there's no i think the thing i think the basis of keto is to remove processed carbs um uh, the keto diet isn't isn't a lifelong thing so it's not like, it's not like we are talking about plant first this isn't a lifelong thing this is a primarily a weight loss and health sort of rejuvenation thing get rid of all the processed crap which is typically anything that's white and just getting rid of out your diet i mean and then you know go back to apples when you feel a bit healthier so i'm introducing stuff like apples bananas berries which are all carbs and all have sugar but a bit yeah. more of a healthy version. Yes. Is it, I think it's, it's, they're more complex, so they're not broken down as quickly or something like that? Whereas, yeah, fruit, fruit is brought down very easy because it's fructose. But, right, okay. but yeah, comp, complex carbs, which is whole, whole meat stuff. A lot, a lot of that's fiber, so it kind of passes straight through you. Got you. Um, so yeah, I mean, nutrition is a major, major minefield. I don't know all, obviously, uh, the science is changing all the time. Um, so just to reiterate, I don't know the correct answer, but I, I feel like I do know that it's um, that what you eat is hugely important and it can affect your mm. life in many ways and it can cause all sorts of trouble if you've got it wrong. Um, and if you've been eating the same way that your parents have taught you or that the science was back in those days when you were little uh it's definitely time to challenge those beliefs um i think it is sustainable to have a portion of our diet including meat but it's not at the current average levels so as a population i think we do need to take into that into account too uh, that's our responsibility as a society um so fundamentally i think meat and two veg has to go at the very least it should be to veg and meat, because that's plant first. I see what you did there. And that's my little speech, mate. That's my little speech. Nice. So I'm going to give you a proper, Grilling. proper naive, naive <laughs> thing that you'll Grilling. probably hear if you hear about this stuff. Okay. okay so you, people say you are what you eat. I'm made of meat, therefore I eat meat. What's your problem? <laughs> I mean, that, that argument seems so dumb. I don't even know how to come up with a response. But um, what? Uh, on that, okay, on that basis, every single herbivore is going to starve to death because it itself is meat and therefore it will die if it doesn't eat meat. That's a dumb, dumb argument. Next. Um, you can do better than that. I'm sure you can. I, I started off by saying I, I'm going to give you a naive perspective. Oh, okay. Sorry. I never, I never said this is what I believe. I wouldn't be so harsh. All right, but actually, yeah, it's not even your perspective. That was dumb. It was super dumb. I've already said I primarily agree with you, but I'm, I'm still not getting rid of meat. I'm just keeping it there. That's a yeah. nice thing. Like I said, I, but, but I, yeah, I, I mean, like the biggest dinosaurs were herbivores, as we've seen. Like, as far as we know, like T-Rex was a herbivore with, with wings, with little wings. So like, you know, all these like nasty things, you know, Typically not there. What's, what's the biggest biggest dinosaurs in Jurassic Park? The Diplodocus. Diplodocus. Those guys were eating bloody trees. <laughs> I mean, they, they are tons of meat. So yeah, 
It's a shit argument, but it is an argument that you will hear. And I think. Do I have to bleep that out now? I don't know. Do we have to. I don't know. Are we marking things as explicit? (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, go on. Um, All I was going to say is. I think a lot of these arguments have come from general naivety of the word vegan and vegetarian. So I think if you rebranded a plant first, I think you have a shot. Well, I mean, I wasn't trying to rebrand the whole thing, but um, yeah, I mean, if you, I'm, I'm happy to offer my plant first um, name for free for anyone who wants to use it. Um, I won't insist on any royalties. Um, yeah. It's just for me, it's just spinning it around trying and trying to think of it as like, even if you just took exactly the same meals that you already have, like every time I make a, we make a spaghetti bolognese or something like that, where you just, you could just put in like two lots of meat and then I don't know, a little bit of onion or something, or you could put in half the amount of meat and then you could just add loads and loads of veg on top. So that's just, mm. even that sort of helps because then you're, uh, if you've got leftovers or whatever, then that's just another meal where you've not eaten. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, meat oh, dishes are very easy, very popular. Um, and unfortunately, the alternatives like corn mints never quite works out quite well. No, I think meat substitutes are a different story entirely. But just going back to our episode we did last time on fire. Um, substituting meat with vegetables uh, for example if you are making a bolognese use half the mince chuck in some red peppers yellow peppers green peppers onion bulk it up and you've now spent half the money on mince that's a good money saving idea for family meals in order to get to your fire target oh and if you like mushroom which mm. i don't think i did initially but i've actually sort of developed a taste for it which is i'll come back to that in a second but um mushroom is a really good one for because it's kind of like it's a bit like meat in the sense it's quite chewy quite meaty in that sense and it adds bulk too so mushrooms is, is a really good one um but mm. that's an interesting point i was a very fussy eater as a child um i was i was the kid that had to sit at the table at the end of the meal uh having refused to eat its my Brussels sprouts because I hated them. Um, they, they would literally make me gag at the table um, where I had to, I said I would rather eat the damn things raw than eat them like that because they're disgusting, right? So I had to, I remember one particular meal where I had to sit at the table with a raw Brussels sprout and I had to eat the whole thing. Otherwise I wasn't allowed to leave the table. Um, so you're right. Yeah. Um, I, although, I stand by my word. I, I think I still preferred it. <laughs> it was harder to eat, though. That was the only problem. Um, anyway, point being that um, I read once that you, the way that your body um, takes on food, if you like, is that the first time it has it, it almost automatically doesn't like it um, because it just mm. doesn't, it doesn't recognise the taste. So it automatically goes, I don't think I like that. Um, and if you keep forcing it to basically to eat it your body will eventually go oh wait a second it's that food it's okay it's not it's almost not about the taste it's just about whether your body has adjusted to the taste so any food that you think you don't like theory goes if you keep eating it you will eventually learn to love it and i have come from being a very 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 fluffy eater to generally speaking i will now eat most things and i don't complain too much I can't say I've ever got to the point where I go, Mm-mm-mm, Brussels sprouts, love it. Um, but um, uh, so that theory hasn't quite worked out. But um, but in other other things, mushrooms being one of them, I never used to like them, and now I do. So um, if you're feeling yeah. like you do it, you probably can. Is what I'm trying to say. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I'm also not a fan of sprouts, but um, mus- mushrooms too. I think it depends how they're cooked. I like mushrooms. My mm. wife hates them. Mm. Um, however, I do put them in like bolognese and stuff, and she just doesn't know, and she'll yeah. eat them. Yeah, yeah, I think oftentimes it's a psychological thing. Well, it certainly is torture, isn't it? I mean, like I've got my um, my nephew won't even eat most foods because he's just he's already decided he doesn't like them before he's even put them in his mouth. I think and it's that sort of 
you know, if you believe you're not going to like it before you go in your mouth, there's a very, very good chance you won't <laughs> because your brain controls most things. You just reminded me of something from the 90s. I'm, I'm sure there was at one point someone invented a chocolate-flavoured carrot and that was all the rage. I, I don't know where that's come from. No way. But that was, that was a dream you had, surely. I don't know. I mean, that kind of feels like we can do that now. We could probably do that. I'm not sure there's, we should. A, that's not the same we should. I mean, I taste like chocolate, like flavourings of some sort. But, I mean, people probably, probably enjoy card then. Mm. It's like psychological. You know, change, change the psychological thing. I just, just whack them over the head, isn't it? But it's force feeding, like. <laughs> uh, um, well, I mean, I've... I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. Is right. I find the best way to do it with food, generally speaking, with children, is just is to not make a fuss of it in the first place. Put it in front of them. If you want, if you yeah. like, I always do. The, if you want pudding, eat your food. If you don't want pudding, yeah, don't eat it. Um, right. So uh, that's yeah. That's that was that was my topic. Really, I haven't got anything else to say. Unless you want to challenge me any further, any more arguments? Um, I'd probably Google some. Because I'm not, I'm not in this area. But you must have heard some stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, V, whichever, whichever V you want to go with. Somebody I mean, must have challenged you. I, I think, well, it, not really, because I'm, I'm not actually saying, you know, don't eat. I'm not saying because you're, you're not an angry vegan. No, yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm not saying don't eat anything, really. I mean, I think the fact that, I think the fact that we are capable of eating such a broad range of things is is in itself a um a, a positive thing so mm. i don't think i would ever say for to not eat for any particular item of food to not eat it except the high sugar processed stuff that's the only thing i would say avoid it don't eat it at all because there's there's no benefits from it but everything else if your body can take it then it's probably going to take find some benefit in it so eat it including yeah. I just wouldn't eat from a from a society perspective. I wouldn't eat very much of it. That would be my reason to knock it down. Even if it was, even if meat was really really good for us, I'd still say as a society we are we are messing things up by eating that much. So I would say let's reduce that down a little bit to whatever the minimum we can have. But I also think that we were already overinflated anyway. And ten percent is probably about right for what we should be doing. Yeah, you know, if you think about yeah. that in terms of a in terms of a, You've got five day, five meals in a week. Then, um, instead of having meat every single day, then if you had it once or twice a week, that would already be a, a, a vast improvement. Yeah. Um, and how would you how would you factor in dairy? Because you're saying to stop dairy entirely, or um, again, like I, like I I really like cheese. I love cheese. Yeah. So I really like cheese. Um, uh, I, again, I think I wouldn't say don't eat it. I would simply say just remember the fact that we we don't we don't need it. It's not really part mm. of something that we're supposed to eat. Therefore, treat it as a luxury that you have, which you keep as a as a, as a minimum. It's the same as the steak. You can have you can grate some on, on your on your thing every now and again. You can have some cheese and crackers. Don't not eat, eat it because you can eat it. It's going to get you some benefit, but it's not supposed to be in your bulk part of your meal. If your bulk part should be your vegetables and your seeds and your nuts and your fruits and vegetables, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, variety. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, balanced out to have a nice variety. Cool. Okay. Make yourself a mac and salad. Grate some cheese on top. Fine. No worries about oh, it. Ah. some bacon. I, mean, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, the, the cheese is required there. I mean, nice bit of like parmesan or something. Mm. I mean, nice. yeah. I mean, I'm not very good at rabbit food either. I I, I like a bit of sprinkling, with a bit of sauce or something on it to make it taste a bit better. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I mean, that's good. I mean, only thing I want to end with is next time I'm going to chat something to do a bit more with the climate. So I think this is a good topic to discuss. We done today. Um, the top three climate issues. Number one, obviously fossil fuels. Number two is a surprise, which I'll keep to them next week. And number three is the meat industry. So I think 
how number three plays out over the next 10, 20, 30 years is going to be crucial. So yeah, meat will, will increase in price and I think naturally we'll all stop consuming as much. Well, I'm happy with that. I hope you are too. Um, and I'll, I'll pay 20 quid for a stick once every three months. <laughs> and I will, uh, I will wait until there's a, a deal where it's like a help out to eat out thing and then I get it for a tenner and then it's all good and then I'm happy. Yeah, I'll just buy laws now and just freeze it and just flog it when the time's right. <laughs> How long can I keep it in my freezer for? Seven years too much? I don't know. Right, so uh, on should we end it on that note? Are we are we done? Uh I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well then I guess we thank everyone for watching. Thank you. Thank you for watching. Um and we'll we'll see you next time. Yeah. Goodbye. Oh, I must think educate act. That too. Oh yeah, that thing. Yeah, goodbye. Bye. <laughs>